Welcome to the Tutor Podcast, the only weekly show for anyone who is in the business of helping people. If you're a tutor, a teacher, or a coach, the Tutor Podcast will help you start, grow, and love your tutoring business in plain English without the buzzwords and BS. If you want to make more money and make more of a difference, the Tutor Podcast will be with you every step of the way. Hi, it's Neil here with episode 35 of the Tutor Podcast. And today's episode is all about entrenched student beliefs, how to identify, elicit them, and essentially how to deal with them. And I think this is one of the toughest obstacles for teachers and for tutors to address. My basic premise is that the student's belief system will govern the way they think. This is a product of environments, their upbringing, their personality, and a lot of times their occupation and their peer group. So we know that what people do in their day jobs will actually spill over into what they do in their private lives. And this can create problems. For instance, if you're a trial lawyer, you come home and you're cross-examining your wife or your husband, that's probably not going to go down very well. So if we as teachers can identify the programs that are being run, if you like the meta programs that people are running day to day, then we can harness that by using metaphors, similes, and parallels between the daily life and what it is we're trying to teach. Now, I'm a guitar teacher, and what I know is that some of the easiest people to teach are the mathematical ones, if you like, accountants, finance folks, because in many ways, the guitar fretboard will resemble a grid. And when I explain chords, I explain that we're really just plotting the outputs of mathematical equations to specific cells or intersect points within the grid. That's actually my background as well as being in finance and accounts and science is is kind of where I come from. So it's quite easy for me to explain it in those terms. With children, basically children with what I would call functional families, it's quite easy to explain that something like a bar chord resembles a family with the daddy note, the root, Um, which is closely followed by the mommy note, the fifth, then the octave root, for instance, as the next child, the third, the baby one. And curious enough, this came, this particular metaphor arose whilst I was teaching a military policeman who owns a nursery and he couldn't understand it at all. And he said, oh, help me out. I said, well, it's kind of like a family and this, this one's daddy bear and this one's mommy bear and, this one, and the third here, this is baby bear. And when baby bear isn't there, we get a minor third and that means everybody's going to be very sad. And he burst out laughing, swore a little bit and we've gone famously from then on. So I've since tweaked and revised that particular metaphor for people who have different systems. And it came about because he was so child-focused, so family-focused, a tremendous guy. The accountant, on the other hand, who just started lessons with me, got it straight away. Because to him, it's an Excel grid. And a bar chord, a movable chord within, within the guitar, to him, is cut and paste. So he just, oh, it's cut and paste chords. And I, oh my God, why didn't I think of that phrase before? So immediately I do what I always do, 
is I turned to the open notebook on my desk in the teaching room and wrote down cut and paste chords. And I recommend if you don't already have a notebook open on your teaching desk or in your room, grab one because these great ideas are fleeting and they will escape if you give them the slightest chance. So capture your great ideas because if you say, I'll remember that, I can pretty much guarantee that you won't. So just referring back to beliefs, people run the same beliefs in their leisure activities they do in their day jobs, in their school lives, their study experience. They will always assume that everything is the same, but they won't realize it. It's up to us as teachers to allow them to sidestep limiting beliefs, especially that have come across from unrelated fields. For instance, when I'm teaching, if you like, tempo, timekeeping, rhythm work, I just remind my students that they essentially are four pendular, all perfectly synchronized when they walk or when they run. Humans are just rhythm monkeys and we're brilliant at doing rhythm. And that is why supermarkets change the playback speed of music. If they need you to move faster, they speed it up. If they need you to loiter, buy more stuff, they'll slow music down. This is well researched, well documented, and we are always susceptible to any external rhythm. We will synchronize to it because we're a herd animal, as far as we know, and we used to hunt in packs. So in order to maintain non-verbal communication, human bodies bob up and down. If you look at a bunch of runners, they're all bobbing in sync. Look at couples walking in the street, they're all bobbing in sync together to maintain eye contact, to maintain the consistency of non-visual communication. And yet, an awful lot of people will show up for lessons with the entrenched belief that they're not good at rhythm. They have no sense of rhythm. It, it staggers me that the obvious things are sometimes so difficult for people to accept. But if you know what's there, you can pace with it, subvert it, and lead it in the direction you want to go. This is something called pacing and leading, which I learned when I uh, did my NLP practitioners course nearly 10 years ago now, with a very, very good teacher called John Cassidy Rice, who I'm lining up to interview at the moment. John's agreed to do it. We're just going to line the schedules up. So I'm going to be trying to squeeze as much useful information about using some NLP techniques for teachers as I can from John when that one actually crystallizes. Now, student beliefs are vitally important because in many ways it defines their identity. And they will tell you this straight away. Then when they say to you, I am, they're telling you what they believe about themselves. So if someone says, I'm not good at guitar, do you want to accept that as a teacher? Personally, I wouldn't accept that anyway. I will always try and replace that with an other form of language in order to reprogram them. If someone says, I'm not good at this, I was asked to put the word yet on the end of that because now it's not a complete statement. It's not a done deal by any chance. And then follow it with the word but. Now, as many of you will know, the word but negates whatever has come before it. This is why as a teacher, I'm always very careful not to say that was very good, but because I've kind of patted them on the head with a very good bit, and then I've kicked them in the nuts with the but because they know whatever I said before was a load of bullshit. <laughs> they are steady. Whatever I said before was a load of bullshit. 
I've just been nice and setting them up, softening them up for when I'm going to give them a good solid kick in the nuts. So I'll challenge that belief immediately. They'll believe they're not musical. And of course they are because the minute they get in the car and no one's watching, they'll be singing and tapping merrily on the steering wheel and jiggling around. And it's quite easy to identify that belief because just listen really close to what they say about themselves. Now, another belief that comes across is this idea of social proof. At the moment that, say, a beginner guitarist comes to me and they're not hanging out with people who play, and sometimes even if they are hanging out with people who play, they will bring with them a whole raft of belief and baggage about how hard it is. So we can let that sit and fester and it'll probably limit them, or we can take it on and have it help them. So my take on it is this. When they tell me that they already know how hard the guitar is to play, I'll say, oh, I'm sorry, I misunderstood you. I thought you didn't play guitar. They will usually say, oh, no, I don't, but I know how hard it is. And I'll simply say, so are you, are you basing that on any real evidence or is just that an assumption you've already made based on absolutely zero knowledge of the subject at all? Essentially, in essence, then, they're telling me what they think from a position of total ignorance of the field. Usually I'll do this with a big, big smile on my face because that's a slightly aggressive posture to take and the smile diffuses that. Um, most times people just laugh. They get it totally. Yeah, I kind of didn't really understand it was that way. And they'll go along with me a little bit then. And what often happens is they've been taking advice from people who don't play or from people who have also taken advice from people who don't play. So we have this pernicious cycle of the non-player telling the wannabe player how hard it is, the wannabe player subscribing to that and falling into line with it because they'll always search evidence to support what they believe. There's a, a mythical creature I use for teaching. It's called the unicorn of cleverness. It seems that students are always looking for the unicorn of cleverness because the aardvark of simplicity is standing in front of them and they want to look past it in search of the unicorn. So when you show them the simplicity of the instrument and the beauty of the way it's laid out to serve the player's hand, for instance, they will fight and argue because they know damn well it's got to be harder than that. And again, this is just their belief and we can collapse that quite easily using enough evidence. We have to build up enough evidence that the old belief system collapses. You can do this with visualization exercises. Doubtless I'll be talking about that with John. But for now, ask them to imagine what it was like 800 years ago during the early development of the guitar family in medieval Spain, where the average height of a male was about five foot six. They still had four fingers, extremely low literacy rates, and most people were just peasants. So I asked them whether it's possible that they believe that they're more stupid and less able than a, a medieval peasant who was illiterate 800 years ago. So I'm always trying to undermine those beliefs. Now, there's another set of beliefs that as a guitar teacher, this impacts on me directly. It's the idea of genius. This comes across as guitar gods and guitar heroes and all of that nonsense. This is an interesting belief system for them. And it's very interesting for me because sometimes the desire to emulate the guitar god, the guitar hero, whatever you want to call it, 
That's the reason they want to play. It's the guitar god that got them into this in the first place, if you like. They want to be like whoever. Insert your player of choice. Now, I would say try to keep the part of the guitar god and the hero or the genius. So if you're in science, you want to be thinking about Einstein or Newton or Fourier or any of the other major figures in that. If you're in science, you're going to be looking at the great scientific figures. Use the heroes, but then point out they're also human and that everything is systematic and knowledge is all learning. For myself, one of the useful ones that I use most, almost every day is when a guitar hero or a guitar god is referred to, I always ask if they usually take their advice from junkies. There are very few exceptions of big-name guitar players who've not had well-documented problems with drugs and alcohol and sociopathic behavior. Now, in your everyday life, you wouldn't want to take advice from people who are doing drugs. So why would you do it the minute you pick a guitar? It's quite easy to ask anyone if performance levels go up or down when narcotics get involved in any process. For instance, cannabis is a fairly commonly used substance these days, as far as I know. You can certainly smell it on the streets. Is it possible that someone who's a stoner and is off their head on cannabis could actually do anything faster than someone who's clean, straight, sober? I, I know where my loyalties lie on that. I know that someone who's straight and clean and sober and focused and follows a process will get a better result every time, far superior than someone who's off their head. This is common sense, and if you can present enough common sense, I believe that you can undermine and collapse these negative beliefs that some people will carry into the teaching room. Incidentally, I've had experiences where, if you like, medical diagnosis has been a belief brought into the room, almost like wearing a badge of, I'm dyspraxic, dyscalculate, dyslexic, whatever. Develop strategies around that. Uh, this has come up, also coming to my coaching clients, and it's perfectly possible to undermine those beliefs and more or less negate the symptoms of the condition. So be open to this. Listen in to what your students are saying about themselves and what they believe to be true about the field that you're engaged in. I'm constantly amazed at how openly people communicate with us what they believe to be true. Their beliefs are what drive all of their behaviours. So if we can listen closely enough, we can harness, redirect and subvert or eliminate those beliefs. As teachers, this is one of the fast tracks to getting better results. It's simply to listen, identify and modify students' beliefs. So if a student says they're not good at anything, don't let that sentence end without the word yes on it. And don't let that sentence hang in the room without the word but attached to it. Because they'll fill in the blanks with, but I'm gonna. So that's about my 10 cents worth of the day on students' entrenched beliefs. Uh, let me know what caught your ear in this podcast and in this episode and how you're getting on putting these ideas to work in your business. 
I would love to hear from you. So send them to me at info at neilcamido.com. I would love to hear your comments and maybe include some of them in the show. It's always great to hear from people. In the next episode, we're going to be talking about learning from outside of your own fields. Essentially shopping around for people who are doing great things in non-allied fields, which you can borrow, modify, subvert, and steal outright. Until then, remember to subscribe to the Tudor Podcast and get all the updates and more tips so that you can start, grow, and love your tutoring business. Join me next episode, and have a fabulous day. Get in touch with the Tutor Podcast via email or social media, and the Tutor Podcast team will be listening. Subscribe on iTunes, and you'll automatically get the latest episode directly sent to your device. And remember to share, rate, and review TTP so that we can help other people to start, grow, and love their tutoring businesses. Mm-hmm.